Well, we are in Matthew chapter 13, and we are beginning the second half of the Gospel of Matthew. For the last few weeks, we've been seeing the Lord under attack. He's been criticized. He's been reviled. He's been going back after the Pharisees that are coming after him. Remember, they are supposed to be representing him and sharing him and preparing the way for him. And yet we've seen the exact opposite. Last week, they decided that they were going to try and kill him, to stop him. And so this week, we are changing subjects as the Lord is going to start his seven kingdom parables, these stories that he's going to teach us to reveal about his kingdom and the kingdom that is to come. So let's go before the Lord in prayer, and we're going to start with verses 1 through 9. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and your mercy. We pray that you would reveal yourself to us through your scripture, that you would show us those secret mysteries, Lord, as you see fit. That you'd continue to teach us day after day, week after week. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Matthew chapter 13, we begin in verses 1 through 9. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. And great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat. And the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell by the wayside. And birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up, sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, First, I want to start by looking at this text, and I want to look at the panorama. I want to see what's being built here, and I want us to look at it as a piece of literature because so many times we look at the Bible simply as historical or as an informational guide. Like, what, what information is there for me to receive? I'm going to download it and take it. But let's look at some of the details that the Lord is sharing with us here before we jump straight into the parable. Because it says on the same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea. We know that the Lord is no longer going to be welcome in the synagogues, at least wherever the Pharisees are in control. They're trying to kill him. And he's also gathering these huge crowds where he can't be indoors so often as he was. And so it says here that as he leaves the house, he sat by the sea, the Sea of Galilee there. And I want us to see what that's like, you know, to see the water, to feel the beach. What does it smell like? the crowds that are gathering around him. I mean, the text is beautiful. The literature itself is beautiful as it, it sets this stage for these parables to be, sta- to, to be taught to us. It says here that he goes into a boat, he sits there, and all the multitude are standing on the shore. What did that look like? The disciples and apostles around him, he's sitting on this boat, he's speaking in these parables. And I don't want us to miss these details whenever we're reading and studying the scripture. We want to absorb all of it and what's happening. It says that he began to speak to them in parables, multiple ones. Now, we don't know if these seven kingdom parables are all the parables he taught or are there other things that he taught that are not recorded. We know the scripture only records what is eternal and for all of us. But I, I wonder Man, was there a lot of other things that he was sharing that was not recorded? And it gets my curiosity peaked. And then we got about, excuse me, then we get to the parables itself. What is a parable? 
How do parables work? Why is he teaching in parables? We're going to answer all those questions today. Michael Green in his commentary says, What is a parable? It is the comparison of two subjects for the purpose of teaching. It proceeds from the known to the unknown. It is an everyday story with a spiritual meaning. It is not an allegory, as if every detail in the story had a deep spiritual significance. And I think that's really important. Because we have two camps and everything in between. Camp number one doesn't want to know any mysteries, no spirituality, no nothing. You just tell me what I need to know. I'll do it. Okay, end of story. I don't want to talk about it. There's another side, the other extreme, that spiritualizes everything. Oh, you know, the period between these two verses represents the darkness of eternity. You know, just nonsense. That's not true. The truth is right in the, mirror, in the middle where Jesus reconciles these mysteries, these things that we cannot comprehend because they're in a spiritual plane that we don't have the tools and faculty to understand with the everyday common a- uh, items that are in front of us. And he reconciles the two. He is revealing these mysteries to us. And it is usually very simple, even though it is very deep. I, I love what Warren Wiersbe says. He says in the New Testament, a mystery is a spiritual truth understood only by divine revelation. And it is a sacred secret known only to those on the inside who learn from the Lord and obey him. And we're going to talk about what that inside is here in a little bit. We have to be careful Because in the first couple centuries of the church, there was something called the Gnostic heresy. It was a group of people that uh, had some wild non-biblical beliefs, but ultimately they taught that they had secret knowledge that only they could teach you. That's not what's being referred to here. Remember, Jesus is the light of the world. He is revealing things. He's not concealing things. And so he wants to teach us these truths. Now, we're going to talk about this parable for a little bit, but spoiler alert... Jesus is going to tell us exactly what it means. So there's no room for interpretation here. By the time we finish this sermon, we're going to hear him tell us exactly what is happening here. Now, these truths that are here in this parable, he talks about the seed that is being scattered. It wasn't until the 20th century that agriculture was not the majority of all of civilization. Up until the 20th century, 80%, even in American history of people, were in agriculture. We weren't making enough food. That means that what the Lord is sharing here is an everyday common theme that the people that he's around, they don't only understand it, they can feel it, they can smell it, they can taste it. When he talks about going out there and sowing seeds, you did it, your dad did it, your grandparents did it, everybody did it. And if you weren't in agriculture, you saw it happening next door. So if the Lord is really using a common element, today it's less than 3% in America are in agriculture. It's because of mechanization. It's incredible. But for the millennia, this application was something you could feel. Going out into the field and throwing your seeds out. And side note, I didn't share this with the first sermon, but I have had to do some seed throwing and... um, it's funny, now when I see it on TV or somebody else doing it, I'll be like, no, nah, they're doing it wrong. That's not how you do it. But that's the kind of mentality they had. That's the application. Like when he's talking about these things, he's like, oh, yeah, I do it like this or like that. But what is the seed he's talking about? He's talking about the word of God. He's talking about the gospel. And this is going to be really important. In fact, 
He's speaking of what has already been told to us in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth and make it bring forth in bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So the word of God there in Isaiah 55 is like the rain. It goes on the mountainsides or in South Carolina in the swamp. It makes everything bloom. Everything comes to life. But what else happens? You have flash floods. You have rock sides and mudslides. It can cause damage and creation. Well, the word of God is no different. It's powerful. And as it goes out, we see people have different reactions to it. That's what the parable is telling us. I bring this up this Isaiah 55 and looking at this parable because notice the farmer is not really mentioned much in this parable. The focus is on the seed and its fruit. In Isaiah 55 with the water, the focus is on the water itself and its result. This is important because we are not the source of strength. We are not the reason the gospel has power. The word of God has power. It's not our skills, our intellect, our experience, The power is in the Word of God and in the Spirit of God. And that is where we have the power to save souls, to change lives. Not in us, not within ourselves. Now, I want to stop you right there because if your mind's like mine, hypercritical, you've got some criticisms for me. Good. I am not saying we are not to be trained. I'm not saying we don't study. I'm not saying that we don't have discipline. In fact, the Bible tells us that we're to study to show ourselves approved, that we're to rebuke one another in brotherly love, that we're to be raising each other up. But the focus is not on the farmer. It is on the seed. It's on the word. That's where the power is. Now, primitive Baptists actually believe this. Primitive Baptists believe that there should be no uh, formalized training of their elders, their leaders, their pastors, and that it should be all just the Spirit should take care of it. does not work that way. They're not being obedient to Scripture. They'd know that if they studied it. But I digress. The Bible tells us that the power is in the Word of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the Word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. So this seed goes into the ground and it bears fruit. It grows on its own. The word of God is like that water that goes out into the world and brings life. It is like a sword that comes and discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. It cuts to the bone and marrow. Jesus is using these parables to show us eternal mysteries with very simple stories, things that they can relate to. He is specifically speaking about the gospel and he is specifically speaking about people being saved, coming to salvation through Jesus Christ. Now, we're going to study this a little bit more and we're going to handle some of those really hard details and those tough questions. And then we're going to hear from Jesus as he explains this to us directly. But I want to continue now in verses 10 through 15. And the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them? In parables. And he answered and said to them, Because it has been given to you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. That doesn't sound fair. Verse 12 For whoever has to him more will be given, 
and he will have abundance. But whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken away from him. Therefore, I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. And in them the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled, which says, Hearing you will hear and shall not understand, and seeing you will see and not perceive. For the hearts of this people have grown dull, their ears are hard of hearing, and their eyes have, they have closed, lest they should see their eyes and he- hear with their ears, lest they should understand with their hearts and turn so that I should heal them. Well, all of this does not sound fair. What do you mean some people can't see and some people can? They're, they're asking Jesus, why are you teaching in this kind of a riddle, this parable? And he's saying, because the people that want to understand, they're going to understand. The people that don't, they're not. They're not going to. But then he's telling us that not every person is going to hear and receive. That does not sound fair. What is going on? That it's veiled. It is hidden. That people are blinded. They don't even have the capability of understanding this. Now, I I want to warn you, and I I need you to come with me on this journey in this sermon, because if you're a theologian or a Bible student, you're going to try and peg him. Oh, he's a Calvinist today. Oh, no, he's an Arminianist. Oh, no, he believes this or that. I am a Bible student. I just preach whatever the Bible says. Whatever the Bible says, that's what I say. And I don't need to reconcile friends. We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But I remember a time in my life when I would open a Bible or someone would preach to me or try and share the gospel with me, and it made zero sense. It might as well be written in an ancient language. I couldn't understand it. it I just thought it's some crazy textbook, like a book of witchcraft or something. I don't know. And it just turned me off. I, I was completely blinded to it. But I remember one day being in a church, hearing a man share the Bible, teach a message, and I understood it. It came to life. It didn't feel like a two-millennial-old textbook that should be stuck in a library. It felt living. It felt like it was today. It was speaking to me. And after that sermon, that night, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. That's my personal experience. Maybe you've had an experience like that as well, where a time in your life you were completely blind to it, but then suddenly it was open to you, and you had a decision to make. Now, why is that now the bible tells us that jesus as the messiah would speak in parables just like this in psalm 78 verses 1 through 4 it says give ear O my people to my law you can say my word also like the the word of god incline your ears to the words of my mouth i will open my mouth in a parable i will utter dark sayings of old which we have heard and known and our fathers have told us We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come to the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. So there's a prophecy saying that the Lord is going to teach in parables and he's going to reveal these mysteries that have always been taught. They've always been taught. They always will be taught. So nothing's changed. He's just speaking in a special way so that the hearers can hear and the deaf cannot. That doesn't sound fair at all, does it? You know, the Bible says that the nation of Israel today is blinded in part. Now, there are many people uh, that are coming to salvation and are becoming completed Jews, walking with their Messiah. But there are many more who are not, and the Bible says they are unable. They are blinded in part. They can't see. God, that's not, that's not fair. 
we know people in our lives who cannot receive the gospel. You've shared with them. They're upset. They don't understand. You're just like, what's going on? How can you not see what I see? How can you not understand this? What's going on here? They're blinded. In Luke chapter 19, verse 42, Jesus is speaking. And he says, if you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. I want us all to know that in our relationship and in our journey with the Lord, we can ask the very deep questions, the deep mysteries of God. Why is it that God just doesn't save everybody because he can do anything? Why is that? I don't know. I don't know. He sits in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. I do know this. He's, his word says he's willing that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. So he's allowing people to make a choice. But Mike, you just told us that they're blinded and they can't see. Yeah, I know. I don't know either. <laughs> I don't know. But I do know this. We are told to share the seeds, to cast the seeds everywhere. Remember, the power is not in us. You know, too often we think, man, if I, just, if I just learned better the right tricks, I could have more people saved. And that's not how it works. This is a spiritual journey. And we're going to talk about this. We're going to talk about some deeper things. But when we pray for a loved one to get saved, we, w- we sh- really shouldn't pray, Lord, just save them, because they have a part in this. We should be praying that the Lord reveal, he takes the blinders of the enemy off. We should be praying that the word is revealed. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 5, it says, but even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. The best example that I use is a biblical one. It's of Saul of Tarsus. Now, Saul of Tarsus, he's there at Stephen's stoning. Stephen is a servant of God. He's being stoned. And he's preaching the gospel. He's praying for those that are beating him and hurting him to be saved. He sees the Lord Jesus. He says he's going to go and meet him there. And then he says, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they're due, just like the Lord does. And the Bible says, standing there, holding the robes of the people that were stoning him is Saul of Tarsus. And we know from the scripture that Saul is convicted there. The Holy Spirit is pricking him. How do we know that? Well, in the book of Acts, on the road to Damascus, Jesus reveals himself to Saul of Tarsus. And the Lord only speaks in King James English, at least only when I memorize it. <laughs> and he says to Saul of Tarsus, why kickest thou against the goads? Why, what does that mean? Why are you resisting the prods of the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit was after him. What does that mean to my Calvinist friends? He's resisting the Holy Spirit. My Calvinist friends say that's not possible. It's irresistible grace. Well, he's resisting it. He's resisting it right here, and then Jesus stands in front of him, and when he sees him, he immediately repents. He becomes Paul the Apostle. But he was blinded before, even though the Holy Spirit was seeking after him. We need to pray that the Holy Spirit is seeking after people, but they can resist. See, God is sovereign. We're going to talk about some more difficult things here in a minute. 
But whenever I get to something I don't know, what do we do? We stick to what we do know. God is holy, righteous, just, perfect, and loving. We know these things. And so we're going to talk about these contrasts, and we're going to keep sharing the scriptures because they reveal to us these truths, right? Before we hear from the Lord and him telling us about the parable, this is his response in verses 16 through 17. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For assuredly, I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Now, the ultimate fulfillment of this is right in front of them. Jesus is sitting on the boat right in front of them. The Son of God, the express image of the Father, the Word of God Himself is sitting in front of them, teaching them and revealing them the things of the kingdom. Every prophet that had come before couldn't even comprehend the beauty of that, much less what we have. What we have is far, far greater. We have grace through faith through Jesus Christ because of his death and resurrection. We have bold access to God the Father because of his work on the cross. Blessed are your ears, for you hear, and your eyes, for you see spiritual things. But it's because the Lord has revealed them to us. He came to us. Remember, no man seeks after God. No, not one. The Bible tells in the book of Romans, before we became believers, we were slaves to sin. Remember in Corinthians, it says that we were bond slaves and he had to liberate us. Now, how does that order work? What's going on there? Jesus is teaching us that the word of God is like sunlight. Not an allegory. This is just a description, by the way. The same sunlight that hardens clay melts wax. I didn't come up with that. Much smarter people did than I did. But the Word of God hardens some and it softens others. It convicts or it condemns and it brings people to faith. Blessed are your ears for they hear. Now, some of you here might be saying like, well, this isn't, did God choose me? That's not fair if he didn't choose me. Well, if you think it's not fair, then just choose him. Just choose him right now, and then you'll be chosen. Yeah, but what about the people he didn't choose? They should choose him too. Just, just confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, believe in your heart, and you shall be saved. I'm not stopping you. Are you stopping you? If you're upset with him for not choosing you, then I guess prove him wrong by getting saved. I don't see what the big deal is. We know that Jesus is the word of God, and he speaks to us, and he is the ultimate revelation in Hebrews 1.1, 1, 1, it says, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets. I forgot to put verse 2. But it says, in these last days has spoken to us by his son. Jesus, he reveals. He's speaking to them in par- parables. He's saying that certain people can't hear him and understand him, but the ones that are chosen will. He also told us, seek and you shall find, ask and you shall receive. He's not going to go around and just force people to be believers against their will because he has given us free will. Every day we make decisions of obedience and disobedience. Every one of us. We choose. All right, now's the time. Let's listen to him explain this parable in verses 18 through 23. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, Then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. 
Thus is he who receives seed, excuse me, this is he who receives seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among thorns is he who hears the word, and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who receives seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bear fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. And here he is. He's telling us that not every person is going to have the same experience. It's going to be different. It's the same seed. It's the same word, but it has different results. We get far more distracted about what we're doing instead of relying on the Lord to do what he's doing and on the preparation of our hearts and those around us. Now, this does not seem fair. God is telling us that there are people that are going to receive the word and they're going to be snatched away. He is telling us that not every person is going to have the same results. Well, the word predestination is not a theological word in that it wasn't made up by man to describe something. It is a biblical word. It is a biblical fact that God predestines and predetermines. He knows who's going to be saved and who is not ahead of time. In Romans 8, verses 29 through 30, it says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. But Mike, that just doesn't seem fair. That there's only a certain amount of people that are going to be saved. Jesus came into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He didn't come to condemn the world. The world is condemning itself. Their hearts are hardened, those that reject him. We are blinded, those that don't seek him. But the message goes forth to everyone, but God is omnipresent, omnipotent, and most importantly for our study, he's omniscient. He knows all things. Not a single decision or action you do surprises him. He knows everything that we are going to do. Nothing surprises him. Therefore, he knows every person that's going to choose him in advance. He knows every person that is not going to choose him in advance. Why did he make them that way? I do not know. Great is the mystery of godliness. You have a problem with it, get saved. He chooses those who choose him. See, this is the most important thing I want you to realize. And this whole study, if you just got confused, you're more confused than ever. I want you to know this. Every person, everywhere, at any time who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Every single person that says, Jesus, will you forgive me? The answer is never no. The answer is never, well, you're not elect. Oh, you're not the chosen one. You're not predestined. Absolutely not. The answer is always yes. That's all you need to know. We need to pray, not that our loved one gets saved. God, save my son, my daughter, my spouse. Save my neighbor. Because there's a free will there. The Lord is not going to go against their free will. 
He's not going to save anyone against their will. They have to confess him as Lord. They have to come to him. We should be praying that the Lord removes the blinders of the enemy, that he removes the chains of bondage, that he sends those goads of heaven like he did to Saul of Tarsus. And then we wait and we pray and we help and we intercede. In Isaiah chapter 42, verses 6 and 7, and he's speaking to Israel. He says, I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will hold your hand. I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people, as a light to the Gentiles, to open blind eyes and to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. Now, as I'm studying this, I got this verse. I put, and this is me, but I'm, I'm putting together Who's, a, who's he speaking to then? verse? He's speaking to the nation of Israel that they're going to be used by God to go and preach to the Gentiles, be a light to the world, right? In the last few chapters, Jesus has been in opposite. Who's against him? The Pharisees. Those that are supposed to be holding the word of God. Those that are supposed to be teaching the word of God. Those that are supposed to be used by him to reach the Gentiles and the lost. And yet they're the ones that are holding it all back and they're trying to kill him, by the way. And what did Jesus call them? I think this is a reference, personal opinion. He said, you're blind leaders of the blind. I think it's a direct correlation to how they're not following this commandment. But we know that only Jesus can do that. Only he can reconcile us that way. We need to pray that the Lord grants that understanding and opens the eyes of the blind so that people can receive freely. Now, this is happening over and over again, and the Lord does not want us only to call the elect or only to find out who's chosen and who's not. No, he wants us to cast that seed everywhere and see what happens. Put the word of God out there. It's powerful and see what happens. It's not you. It's not your power. In fact, that's what he told the disciples after his resurrection. When he's sending them into the world, he says in Luke 24, 45, and he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. That seems important. Then he said to them, thus it is written and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send you the promise of my father upon you but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. The word of God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus is sending them out after he gives them understanding and says, spread it to all nations, everywhere, everyone. Yeah, people are going to reject it. Yep, people are going to accept it and they're going to follow it. Yep, it happens. Just keep going. Just keep going. That's not your job. Let the word of God and the spirit of God do what it wants to do. Pray that the blinders of our friends and family are removed so that they can comprehend spiritual things. But those whose hearts are hardened, he will keep them hardened. And if they don't like it, confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, you shall be saved. He will never say no, ever. We know this from Ephesians chapter 1. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 17, it says that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling, 
what are the riches of his glory of his inheritance in the saints. He is revealing these things to us through his word and through the spirit. We need to be praying and reading and being in fellowship and asking him to reveal these deeper mysteries to us and asking him us asking him to guide us and direct us in our relationships with our loved ones with sharing with our friends and family and guiding them to these things because only he can do that. We can't. We've seen it happen in our own lives. I want you to remember above all else, if I left you completely confused, is this. Any person who calls upon the Lord shall be saved. And they have been predestined. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. And we pray, Lord, that we would be used by you, used by you to bring others closer to you, Lord. We pray that we would have a proper understanding of these things and that we would go into all the world and preach the gospel. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, there are brothers and sisters up here to pray with you. God bless you and have a wonderful week.